muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. A kingdom for a stage, princes to act, and monarchs to behold the swelling scene. Then should the warlike Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars, and at his heels, leashed in like hound, should famine, sword, and fire crouch for employment. But pardon, gentles all, the flat, unraised spirits that have dared on this unworthy scaffold to bring forth so great an object. Can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France? Or may we cram within this wooden O the very casks that did affright the Aradagian corner? <laughs> Pardon. Since a crooked figure may attest in little place a million, <clears throat> and let us ciphers to this great account on your imaginary forces work. Suppose within the girdles of these walls are now confined two mighty monarchies, whose high, upreared and abutting fronts the perilous narrow ocean parts asunder. Piece out our imperfections with your thoughts, and to a thousand parts divide one man and make imaginary Think when we talk of horses that you see them, printing their proud hooves in the receiving earth, for tis your thoughts that now must deck our kings. Carry them here and there, jumping o'er time, turning the accomplishment of many years into an hourglass. For the which supply, admit me, chorus, to this history, who, prologue-like, your humble patience pray. Gently to hear, kindly to judge, our play. So that was some uh, Shakespeare. Some of you might know, that was Henry V. That was the prologue from Henry V. I wonder, just because we're all here together, was did, did anybody hear a word or a phrase or an image in there that you saw something? There was an image. Say it out loud if you what horses? Uh, think when you, uh, when we talk of horses that you see them. Uh, anything else? Hourglass. 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 Anything else? Judge. Judge. Gently to hear, kindly to judge our play. Any more? Scaffold. In this? Scaffold. Scaffold. Yeah. Peace out. Uh, Peace out our imperfections with your thoughts. Can we say that line together? The line is, peace out our imperfections with your thoughts. Peace out our imperfections with your thoughts. Uh, the uh, premise of our session here today is why do we tell stories? Why do we do theater? Why is it important? Uh, I don't know that I can answer that question. I think some other, my peers here, have some ideas on that. I want to tell you what it feels like. Why am, I, why am I drawn to it? So I, you know, I, I know the benefits of stories, so I, um, you know, in friendships, sharing stories with one another, what's the hallmark card? The, the, the closest distance between two hearts is a good story. Very sweet, also true. 
I have kids, uh, and so, you know, our house is full of stories. They want to hear my stories from when I was a kid and when I fought with my friends and when I got in trouble. And when we go on road trips, we tell lots of stories and activate their imaginations. I have a business life, so I, I work in the business world and occasionally find myself in front of large groups of people explaining charts and graphs and all those sort of things, and everybody glazes over, and then you tell them a story, and it's the only thing they remember. <laughs> so I know the, the benefits of a good story, but why do we tell them? Um, I'll, I'll tell you uh, one thing that I have found to be true about telling stories is that it's a lot like faith to me. So um, when I, when I uh, one of the things, when, I, when I'm telling a story and I'm on stage and acting and doing theater, the thing that feels right to me is presence. Mm -hmm. So I am here in front of you now, and as present as I have ever been, I can do that on stage. I'm present with myself. When I have a partner, there is somebody across the stage, and I am present in a relationship. And I have an audience, and there's a community together, and I'm present with a community of of people listening, and then all of us together, desiring partner, desiring self, desiring community, supporting a story, something that's happening in our sort of collective imagination. And when it's working right, and most of the time it doesn't, that's what it feels like. And uh, I know that you all are, are on a journey with this organization and with this uh, event, talking about what, what it is to have faith these days. And to me, you know, when, when I was, uh, came up in the church, it was a lot about belief. So you tried to believe and you would close your eyes and you would try to believe. And for me, my experience is belief is hard to chase down. It is, um, it is, it comes and it goes. I go to church now with a, a, a friend of mine and a, uh, he's also an actor and a theater person. And I was talking to him about this and he said, oh, Jeff, faith is just rehearsal. And I don't know if that's good theology, uh, uh, but it's very useful to me. Because if faith is belief, I've got no, I've, I've got, I've got, there's nothing I can do about that. I don't have a way in. But if faith is rehearsal, then a life of faith is just showing up for rehearsal. Uh, and that's what, uh, that's my way into the theater, and that's my way into faith. And that has been my pleasure to work with many of the people on the stage here and in community they will answer the question to the There's nothing like jumping into a breakout session with an unexpected monologue. <laughs> That's one of the joys of doing theater. We're always asking, how can we surprise them? How can we come on, on, an, on an angle, on a slant? Thank you, Jeff. My name's Chris. My wife, Janelle, and I were fortunate enough to get to know the wonderful people here at Calvary St. George's six years ago. Uh, and we walked into this space, and we said, this should be a theater space. Whatever else it is, it could also be a theater space. And they were like, sure, can you work around some of the hoops that, you know, it's a multi-use space, there's various other groups here. And we're like, absolutely, we can do that because real estate in New York is expensive, and if you can claim any parcel of land to be your own and invite people back in, it is, it is worth gold. So they said yes, we've been doing 
theater in this space for about six years. Our company is called Sea Dog Theater. Our mission is to tell stories of alienation and reconciliation. Um, the folks that you're gonna hear from today are good and trusted colleagues. But I've asked them here today, not just because they're excellent actors, they believe that what we do in the theater has trained us as people uh, uh, and, and that the art of storytelling and listening to each other's stories, both on and off stage, matters immensely and that there aren't many opportunities to sort of apprentice what that should look like in a world that cho chooses sort of middle of the road interactions. So there will be some talking about stories and there will be some acting. Please know that the acting we're doing today isn't here to, this is not a talent show. Uh, so <laughs> these things are often have been in the past or they're brand new. These are elements that we thought would be relevant to today and we're sort of rehearsing our ways into these moments and rehearsing them out. Feel free to clap or not clap. Just know it's not a talent show. We're not trying to convince you that we are great actors. We are trying to convince you that we care passionately about stories and we're sort of on this journey together. Um, I want to say something of the way we parcel our life. Dave Zoll has mentioned that yesterday, you know, the splitting of trauma or bad things or secretive things or shameful things that we do in our life. And I thought to myself, where in New York do you hear the cry for help on a regular basis? And if you've lived here for any amount of time, and we all know this, uh, there's a number of places, but one is the subway. And uh, we all have had the experience on the subway. Usually, st usually starts with a preamble of, I'm sorry to bother you, but. And we hear the most incredible things. There are times when I hope it is made up because it is so intense what a stranger is sharing and asking for help. And on the surface level, I am not proud to say, but there's oftentimes it is simply a nuisance, right? We are all busy. We have places to go. We have our soundproofing earbuds, but they're not so good that we can't hear the story and the cry for help. And we're kind of just saying, please, not today. I need 10 minutes to listen to my music before I get into my stressful job, right? But what are we hearing? We're hearing these incredibly traumatic stories. And so on the surface, it's a nuisance. On a deeper level, I think we recoil because it's a person that is sharing that. And it is a person that reminds us of ourself, and it is a person that is reminding us that we could very well be in that position. We might very well be in that position. Maybe we were in that position, right? We have these extreme stories on one end of the spectrum. Then we have the trivial things we never talk about. We don't think about talking about them. They're inconsequential, right? No one asks about it. We don't think of sharing it. You've all been with family or friends when, I'm gonna take my father, for example, who I thought I knew everything there was to know about my relationship to my grandfather, his father. And then one day, this was only a few years ago, he says, yeah, there was this one time, you were three months old, we brought you back to Western Austria. That's where my dad grew up. He grew up Catholic, but he left the Catholic Church to become Protestant. We left you with your grandfather for New Year's, and he gave you an emergency baptism because he was afraid that your soul was in danger. That story is fundamental to how I understand myself. I asked my father, why have you never said that? What do you think he said? I didn't think it was that important. You've been there? You've been there in that moment when someone says, I didn't think it was that important. You're like, are you effing kidding me? That's a beautiful or intense or poignant story. You didn't think it was that important, right? So one end, the extreme. The other end, what we think is trivial, 
may not be trivial to someone else. So we choose the middle of the road. How are you? Yeah, good, busy. Yeah, busy too. Yeah, how are the kids? Well, they're growing. Yeah, they're growing. Great. That was, that was an interaction, right? Um, we don't know. Where do we go to learn about how to share what we all know we have? Culture isn't very helpful. And we have found an apprenticeship in the theater where playwrights write stories that we think these matter. Um, I'm borrow borrowing the, the theme, uh, the title of this uh, breakout session is The Stewardship of Stories. It's really borrowed from uh, a writer, author, Frederick Bichner, who wrote an essay called Adolescence and the Stewardship of Pain. And he wrote that essay, I strongly recommend you read it, after he shared about his father's suicide. A friend came up to him and said, Fred, you've been a great steward of your pain. And his mind was blown. He said, I've ne I never thought of associating my extreme story with being a good steward. So he writes this essay. Um, he has a quote here that if you love Frederick Biechner, you have, you have heard. I'm going to end on this. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery it is. In the boredom and the pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments and life itself is grace. Have you heard that quote before? It's such a good quote that people have parceled out many quotes from that quote. So they'll, be, they'll say, listen to your life, Fred Biechner. Or they'll say, life itself is grace. <laughs> what I want to draw your attention to today is all moments are key moments. A playwright only writes key moments in a play. It wouldn't be in the play. How do we approach life knowing that all moments might be key moments? And if we believe there is an author to our story who has only written key moments, how on earth do we go about not splitting our life into the extreme, the secret, the trivial, and just rely on the middle part? Those are the questions we are asking today in one way or another. There are different ways in. We all have had different experiences, but we all feel passionately about that. And so what you're about to hear are elements from musicals, poetry, and plays that somewhere explore that question. What if all key moments are key moments? What happens when we reveal ourselves to one another? And how do we do that? Thank you. Hi, dear friends. Um, my name is Sally Shaw. Uh, and my name is Dexter Conlon. And um, just like the folks that came before us and the folks that will come after, we don't have all the answers to why theater matters, why <laughs> stories matter, but we are um, perhaps good folks to start off because we're, we're baby storytellers. We um, both attend Ithaca College for musical theater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we both started telling stories from the time we were very young. Yeah, and we've always loved it, and that's what you do when you want to become a theater artist. You, you grow up, and you audition for college, and then you get to do what you love, and you get graded for it, which is awesome. <laughs> it makes total sense. Yeah. yeah, they say, here's a story. Steward it for a B minus, and you're like, I don't know how to make sense of that in my soul. I've bared my soul to you, and now I'm supposed to do it in front of my professors and my peers. It's very confusing. So a lot of it can get in your head. <laughs> a lot of it can get really confusing and intellectual, and it can get in the way of um, having an open heart for really hearing and receiving the stories that you're telling. 
Um, and one of those things, so it's like, what makes an actor good? What gets you a good grade? What gets you an A? Um, and you'll hear a phrase repeated a lot in college, which is... That you need to make a bold choice. That you need to make a choice and follow it through to the end and just commit to it 100%. But what choice is right? I, is there a right choice? Is there a wrong choice? There's infinite amounts of choices. As people, yeah. as humans, we're experiencing that too, right? You could interact with anyone differently. You could you could make a choice as to where you go to lunch today. Could that affect how you talk to your family later? I mean, there's it, everything leads to it. So there's this kind of idea of like, the fear can be paralyzing there. But there's actors in a scene or a song trying to figure out what choice am I going to make that could get me the A, that could get the story across? What choice am I going to make as a human that's going to get me where I want to go, right? Yeah. It's scary. We want to cultivate that in, in our practice, and so what you're about to hear is a song about making choices. Mm -hmm. And It's a song that they would never let us do in school, so that's why we're doing it here, because we're too young. We're too yeah. young to do we it in know. school. Yeah. But it's from our favorite show in the whole world. It's called Sunday in the Park with George um, by Stephen Sondheim. Does anyone know that show? Yeah, um, and if you haven't, if you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, anyone? So you know the, the yes, the painting that Cameron zooms in on, he like looks at the pointillism and then it looks in the, that classic scene. It's about that artist. So George Surratt is the artist that painted a Sunday afternoon on the Isle of La Grande Jeté. Mm -hmm. It's about his life. It's about real characters, fictional characters that come in and out, and it's about his heart as an artist. So it's kind of a softball. It's a musical about an artist, right? Um, yeah, and so um, it's about George and, and Dot, the subject of, of his painting, and in the end they don't end up together, um, but they tell each other things that they really need to hear anyway, um, and part of that is making choices, and I know that I needed to hear that, and I hope that you all need to hear that today too. So this is Move On from Sunday in the Park with George, and we're just going to make some choices, and the Magnificent Camel is going to accompany us. <laughs> <Yeah>. so. <laughs> It is good to see you, George. Not that I ever forgot you. You gave me so much. What did I give you? You taught me about concentration. At first I thought that just meant being still. But I was to understand that it meant much more. You were telling me to be where I was not some place in the past or future. I worry too much about tomorrow. What about you, George? Are you working on something new? No, I'm not working on anything new. That is not like you, George. I have nothing to say. You have many things. Well, nothing that's not been said. Said by you, though, I do George. not know where to go. Nor did I. I want to make things that count. Things that will I do. did what I had to do. What am I to do?
Look at what you want, not at where you are, not at what you'll be. Look at all the things you've done for me. Opened up my eyes, taught me how to sing, notice every tree, understand the light, concentrate on now. I want to move on. I want to explore the light. I want to know how to get through, through to something new. Something of my own. Move on. Move on. Stop worrying if your vision is new. Let others make that decision. They usually do. Something in the light, something in the sky, the grass, up behind the tree. Look at all the things you've given me. Things I didn't like look at till now. Flower in your hat. And your smile. I would be so Some, uh, we're going to do a scene from a, a beautiful play. It's uh, possibly one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite plays. Called Danny in the Deep Blue Sea by John Patrick Shanley. Uh, AKA the guy who wrote Doubt. <laughs> he wrote Doubt, or if you weren't, didn't see Doubt, he also wrote the screenplay for Moonstruck. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But early in his career, he wrote some really visceral, <coughs> explosive plays. Um, this is the most poignant play I know really about forgiveness and extreme stories. Um, and we'll set the scene for you because we're, it's a three scene, it's a, sh it's a short play, about an hour long. Um, these two characters, Roberta and Danny, meet at a bar. They're both very, very broken, very violent, very desperate people. And I think it's fair to say you don't think they're gonna both survive the night. Mm. Uh, if it's not with each other, it, it's gonna be something else. Uh, Danny has entered the bar, he's just beat up someone that he thinks he may have killed up in the Bronx. Um, mm -hmm. Roberta enters having- Recently oh, divorced. Recently divorced. With a child. And yeah. shut up in her home, right, and come out and essentially what happens is there's a secret that is shared at the bar that doesn't repel Danny. A secret that Roberta thinks, everyone will run for me. I've never told anyone this. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's about an ancestral thing that happened between her and her father. And it is so gut-wrenchingly extreme. But she brings it up because Danny, macho, his macho's like, I'm violent, I don't, you know, I don't care. She's like, well, you care about this? And he, he doesn't really know what to do, but he doesn't leave. The fact that he doesn't leave is already a huge step. She drags him home, they sleep together, and they've woken up now, I mean, it's still the middle of the night, but they're now back at her apartment. It's a small little place up in the attic. She lives with her parents, her parents live downstairs. Their son lives downstairs. She has a little room up at the attic. What are we missing to set the scene? No, that's it, that, you said everything. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I wanna add just briefly, like I was thinking about something this week about like how at best humans were primal, like at our core, we're like these primal like animals who like, we need water, we need sex, we need food, we need people, we need each other. I think this play is like a beautiful representation of how like two broken people can still need, the, the need to be in space, the need for another body in the the breath. Just yeah, that, I thought about yeah. that, and it's so funny that we're three right. minutes. Yeah, the need and not always having the right words to say right. Yeah. How how do you speak from trauma? How do you what is the, where is it lumped in your throat or your arm or your fist or your kneecap? Like right. where is it stuck? <laughs> <laughs> like I know when I get emotional, I like get stuck here. I'm like <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> That's where we find ourselves. Two people in need trying to figure out what on earth they're doing in life and with each other. Mm. Uh. Listen. There, you, you hear it? What is it? Big boats. You know, boats around here, there's no water. Yeah, there is. It, it's, it's, it's not a block over or like that, but the ocean's right out there. See? That's a big boat going down some, like, river to the ocean. Whatever you say. That's what it is. Okay. That, that, there's boats right up by Westchester Square. What's that, uh, 20 blocks? Look, sometime you'll see them. Not the real big ones, but big. Sea boats.
That's what it is. When we got married, me and Billy, that was my husband, we smoked a ball of opium one night. It really knocked me out. <laughs> I fell asleep like immediately and I, I dreamed about the ocean. It was real blue. And there was the sun and it was real yellow. And I was out there right in the middle of the ocean and I heard the noise, this, this noise. I turned around and what do you think I saw? Just about right next to me, a whale. A whale came shooting straight out of the water. A whale, yeah. And he opened up his mouth and, and closed it while he was up there in the air. And, and people on the boat said, look, the whales are jumping. And no shit. These whales start jumping out of, out of the water all over the place. And, and I can see them through one of those round windows or, or right out in the open. Whales gushing out of the water and the water gushing out of their heads, you know, spouting. <laughs> and then after a while, they all stopped jumping. It got quiet. Everybody went away. The water smoothed out. But I kept looking at the ocean. So deep and blue. And different. It was different then. Because I knew I had all them whales in it. Hey, what if you... Say that. What are you gonna say? That's something I'm not gonna say. Is that you? Well, that is this is a doll. Yeah, no, I know that, but is it is that supposed to be you? Yeah, I guess so. Shirley gave it to me, my friend, when I was gonna get married. It don't look like you. No kidding. No, it don't have your nose. No. Did you get in that whole white outfit, you know, when you got married? Not really. We got married at City Hall. My mother was pissed. She was religious. But we wanted to get that part over with. You know, I was showing. It would have been stupid in white. It's an ugly room, though. When they marry you at City Hall, it's like school. <laughs> Why you keep the doll? It ain't much to keep. It's pretty. You think so? Being in a bride, all in white and everything. Flowers. I was at a wedding once. All these roses all around. I've never seen so many roses and bees buzzing and lots of other flowers too. And then they came out and uh, everybody started throwing rice. Why do they do that? I don't know. And then the bride came out. The groom was nothing. He looked good. But it was the bride. I was, I was sitting on the stone bench waiting for them to come out. And when I saw the bride, I stood up because she was so... A big white dress and a veil. You know, flowers in her hand with ribbons blowing around, little ribbons. And all around her, all these roses. Bees buzzing, everybody dressed in good clothes. And then everybody started throwing rice. 
not hard, nice, <laughs> easy, friendly. And I forgot to throw mine. You want to hear something really crazy? I mean nuts. What? Now I'm going to tell you. Come on, what? All right, all right. That is nuts. <laughs> I wanted to be the bride. Walking out all those big doors dressed in white. Flowers, bees buzzing, everyone being nice. Special, you know? <sighs> yeah, special. I wanted to be the bride. Hey, you want to marry me? No, don't get around. No, hey, I'm serious. Stop it. No, square business. Do you want to marry me? No, now let's talk about something else. Listen, I want to marry in the church. I want to get married in that church with the garden, the one I was at. I told you, don't get around, please. What? I ain't kidding. I want you to be a bride with me. I got a kid. So? Let your parents take care of the kid. My parents? Yeah, that's right. They fucked up your last marriage. They owe you something. Well, come on, collect. I can't. Hey, Roberta, you got a right to something. Hey, 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 say your name for me. Say your name.
I'm gonna let uh, Shakespeare guide us through a little <laughs> conversation about presence and listening and the, the power we have in each other's lives that I think we often, um, it's easy to be blind to it. First we'll just we'll let us listen to Shakespeare and then we'll unpack it a little bit. They that have power to hurt and will do none, that do not do the thing they most do show, who moving others are themselves as stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's riches from expense. They are the lords and owners of their faces, others but stewards of their excellence. The summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself it only live and die. But if that flower with base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves its dignity. For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds. Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. So what is that? What is that about? I mean, I think I'm, I'm really just going to let him guide us through it. They that have power to hurt. What is that wonderful Maya Angelou quote? Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And it's so easy to come in our lives with all of the things that we're coming with. And to think that it doesn't matter, that we can sort of retreat from somebody and it doesn't matter. But we have profound power, profound power in the exchange of story every time we're faced with it, in, our, in whether or not we're present and how we're present. They that have power to hurt and will do none, no matter how much they have, who do not do the things they most do show, who moving others are themselves a stone. And I think it's easy for us, especially as Americans, to think, no, I mean, obviously I've been sitting over there crying for the whole hour, but um, the difference between listening with judgment and listening from curiosity. Whoever you're listening to can tell. They can tell if you're waiting. They can tell if they've said something and you go into your head and you're, the voice is beginning the response. Oh, I definitely have something to say about that. <laughs> and you're no longer there. Yeah, I can tell you all are like, oh yes, I'm remembering the conversation when that happened to me. <laughs> And I think that's what he's getting at, the unmoved cold and two temptations slow, the drug of drama, right? What my, what a 10-year-old would call the what? No conversations <laughs> that are so, I think that's from Toy Story or something, but you know, they're so delicious to get caught up in the what? No. The temptation of that, the temptation of the deliciousness Presence is sober. It's sober. When you're really there, when you're really creating the space for somebody's story, when you're really receiving it, it's sober. It's 
not like the little hit from social media. We were talking about the answering machine light from the old days. <gasps> it's not that. And it's also not the numb opiate of our phones, of this, of the. It's an exchange, and it's a slow burn. It's not the high of temptation. It's, it's a slow, that process of real connection. And the thing about the, the patience then, they rightly do inherit heaven's graces. It is transcendent, those moments of connection. I mean, I think that's what we've seen. That's something so moving about it. When real connection happens, it's, it's everywhere. And that when we allow ourselves to be open to the story of whatever it is that God may be having to say, right? That practice of, of faith or whatever it is. And husband nature's riches from expense. And there's something about the sobriety there too, I think. And the, it is an act of selflessness, even though you get so much in the connection. That's the summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself, it only live and die. It's not about you and the receiving of the story. Mm. It doesn't have that, that high. You know, you know how you can tell, you all did this so beautifully, you know how you can tell when someone's singing and what they're really doing is enjoying the sound of their own voice. <laughs> or someone's talking and what they're really doing is enjoying the sound of their own voice. And when what they're saying is really what they mean, when it's coming to you, you can tell when somebody's listening that way too. When they're listening and congratulating themselves for doing, being such a patient you know, mm -hmm. person. <laughs> or when they're really receiving. Mm. And then I think we all also know the people that have been lilies in our lives, and then something happens, I mean, profoundly heartbreaking, you find out something about them, or something happens in your relationship, and the souring of that lily in your life is so much worse than the souring of whatever weeds may be composting in your life. And I think we, uh, we're also often blind to the people that we are lilies for. You don't know, you don't know who you are a lily for. And the practice, the rehearsal of presence. The how many moments is the key moment? Am I a key moment in this person's life? We don't know. So the rehearsal of presence, the sobriety of presence and connection, I think is such an important part of what all of these stories are about. Say it one more time. They that have power to hurt and will do none, who do not do the thing they most do show, who moving others are themselves as stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's riches from expense. They are the lords and owners of their faces, others but stewards of their excellence. The summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself it only live and die. But if that flower with 
base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves its dignity. For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds. Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. Thank you. was in the early Paleolithic period. <laughs> <clears throat> but for 28 years, I, I've taught theater at a, at a tiny Christian school 23 miles west of Chicago, which is just off the edge of the earth. <laughs> um, you'll be hearing another um, representative of that institution tonight, uh, Issa Macaulay. Um, so the things I want to say, I, I want to say about this craft of acting as a teacher, in a way. Right? I want to say something about what it is to teach students. Um, these were my students once. And the, the connections I have with people in this room uh, go back many years. Um, uh, I just said hello to somebody that I last knew in 1981 at Grace Church. So that, you know, it, it's, uh, it's funny. You get it to a certain age and you start to think of your life that way. Um, I, I love uh, the teaching of acting, and I teach in a context where I say, uh, growing as a person, growing as a, as a Christ follower, if that's what you uh, are interested in in the first place, growing as an actor, are like a braid. I, I, I think it's impossible to grow as one, one of those things without growing as the other two. I really do. I, I think it's all, uh, those things are all connected. And over the years, I've tried to think. I don't. I don't have methodology really in terms of acting. But I came up at one point. Uh, I think Chris Domeg, whose coattails I was writing on, uh, dragged me into a situation where I had to sort of codify what it is that I teach and, and how I talk to actors. So I came up with a um, with four um, steps that I want to talk about because they connect to things that we've heard today. Um, uh, and they have motions. They have hand motions, which is really exciting. So <laughs> if, you, if you feel like you, you, know, you really want to move, you can, you can move. But uh, the, the, four, the four things have to do, they all have to do with story, right? The first is valuing story. The second is telling story. The third is receiving story. And the fourth is holding story, right? So you can do it if you want, valuing, telling receiving, holding. So I just talked, like to talk briefly about those things and then maybe we do one other thing. Um, valuing story. I mean, this really is, this is sort of the key to all of it. If you want to act, you have to first, I, have a, I teach a lot of students who don't think they have a story and they don't think it's, a, they don't think it's an extreme story. And you know, um, uh, I love Tim Keller says, uh, our sins are bad enough that God had to die and we're precious enough that God was willing to die, right? Um, I grew up in a stripe of Christian faith where I was not very bad. I was also not very precious. I was never the bride. <laughs> I was never the bride. I mean, anybody else moved by that idea, right? Um, 
we have a game that we play in this little theater group that I've been running for 28 years uh, called Underhand Rice. That's taken from Danny and the Blue Sea. And we bless each other in this room by throwing underhand rice at each other. Right? Just uh, blessing somebody. Uh, not overhand. Easy. Underhand. Right. This has to do with valuing your story. You have to know you have a story. And it's an extreme story, right? Nobody uh, gets out of that. I, I so appreciated the words last night. Um, we, we live in, in extreme stories. Um, uh, and you have to have something. If you're going to be an actor, you have to have some, have some willingness to, to use that story. The story you have is the story you use to build a bridge to a character. If you don't believe you have a story, there's no way you can play a character, right? That's the story you use to make that bridge. Um, so you're so you're constantly referring to the things. What do I know about this thing that I'm talking about, right? What, well, that's the story that I uh, that I use to build the bridge to a character. I can't play a character I don't love. I can't play a character that there's not some sort of connection to that I don't know something about. So, valuing a story and telling story. But the third one is the one that nobody talks about. Jen talked about it today, and I think it's so beautiful. This idea of receiving story. Um, I don't know what effect these last few years of your life have had, but mine have, uh, 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 I've been damaged uh, uh, in a way that has made me less curious about others. Mm. I, I am less curious. If I know a fact or two about someone, I have no ability or willingness to drill down. I, I don't want to know. If I know fact one and two, uh, I, I stack, and I think, well, fact three, four, five, don't really matter. I don't want to listen to them. What acting demands, and what I think personhood demands, is that we be permeable, changeable listeners, right? I mean, do I listen in a way where I, you know, uh, am, uh, where, where something can actually change me? You know, this song, I was a permeable listener to your song. It changed me. It was about me. It was about you. It was about me. It was about those characters, right? I, I understand uh, these, these characters. I was permeable to that story. How do we turn ourselves in this time into more permeable listeners? Right? How, do we, how do we not shut down uh, to the stories that we are being, being presented with? Right? Um, I think, I think we'll, the world desperately needs people who will stand in a story and receive it without judgment, um, who can manage curiosity fourth thing is um, this uh, idea of holding a story. I think each of us carry stories through our lives that have changed us. If I knew you well, I'd be able to tell you what the story is. I know some of these people very well for a long time. And I could say, oh, yeah, I know something about the story they're carrying, right? Uh, the Maya Angelou uh, uh, quote, again, most people you don't, but some people you come to know well enough to know the thing that changed them, the day that changed them the event that changed it, the story they carry. We all carry these stories. If you are an artist, and I think, I think especially um, uh, uh, an, an artist who has some relationship with the gospel of Jesus, you, you believe that that story, that broken story, is the place where, you, where your art comes from. God has come to, re if he's come to redeem anything, he's come to redeem that story. He's come to, he's come to make me whole in that story. That's why stories matter. We're dealing with the stories that people hold that have changed them.